Well, good morning, guys. Like Gil said, my name is Wes. For those of you tuning in for the first time online, we're glad to have you here. Glad to have you in the room. Glad some people joined the Bryants over there, sitting on their side of the room. That's really nice. That's good. Happy to see that. You guys have friends now. Look at that. So it's good. Um, I want you to picture with me this about seven or eight years ago on the day, actually a lot like today. Um, it was about 6.15 or so in the evening. I uh, was a pastor in the Chicago area, and I was sitting in my car, a very spacious 2011 uh, Honda LXS, in case a Civic LXS, in case you're wondering what uh, you know, cool pastors drive. It's a 10-year-old Honda Civic. That's what we drive. Anyway, uh, I'm sitting in my car, and uh, I am freaking out. I'm having what is probably, for me, in my life, the closest thing I've ever had to an anxiety attack or to a panic attack. Um, I had a meeting that evening in a couple minutes at 6.30, and I was meeting with this parent who's really angry about some changes that we've made at our church in Chicago, and so uh, she'd like went online, she'd posted this negative stuff about me that wasn't true, it's was like just this really fraught, terrible, awful experience, and so like I had a feeling this meeting was like, we're kind of walking in, you know, it's a hostile witness, your honor, you know, like I, I kind of was worried about that and worried about walking into this conversation. I didn't know how it would go. I was afraid maybe I would say something that would get misinterpreted and she would like go online and post about that and get a bunch more people angry at me and make the situation worse and all these different things that were kind of going on and things that were happening. And I was just super nervous about this meeting. And uh, I'm sitting in my car, I've got like 15 minutes ago, I'm in this empty church parking lot that's like, you know, a block or two away from uh, this lady's house where we're going to meet. And, um, and like, I, I was just like, I just, like, my heart was like in a pound out of my chest, you know, like, it was just like, I was so nervous, I was so anxious, I was so afraid, I just wanted this to be over. And in fact, as I'm sitting in my car, the only thing that brought me any semblance of relief was me thinking like, okay... It's 6.30 now, surely this meeting's gonna be over by 8.30, so like at 8.30 I can resume my life like normal again and it's all gonna be okay, you know? But it was just like everything I could do, my legs are shaking, my arms are shaking, like I, like I was just having to focus on breathing, right? Because that's the power of anxiety. Anxiety, when it gets full-blown in our lives, it can do that to us. It can reduce us to a pile of, of nothing, you know? Um, like, I, I feel like I'm a, pretty, I'm a hearty Midwesterner, you know? Like, that doesn't happen to me. But in fact, it actually does, because anxiety is a powerful force. It affects all of us, and uh, it, it, it does not discriminate. Black, white, Hispanic, man, woman, young, old, uh, middle-aged, you know, we all suffer at different points with anxiety and things um, that relate to anxiety. And so today... Um, we're going to talk about uh, anxiety. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, specifically how can we overcome anxiety. Now, today when I use the word anxiety, I uh, have a couple things in mind uh, that I'm kind of, you know, using when I, when I say that word. So um, anxiety, if you want to think of it this way, can kind of exist on a scale. So kind of the first part of anxiety is that uh, we can just be concerned about something, okay? So concern is something that happens to all of us at different points. We experience anxiety, right? So concern is what happens when something I care about is threatened or someone I care about is threatened, you know? So, hey, I, I mean, it can be something as small as I really wanted to go to Blaze Pizza for lunch and my spouse wanted to go to Mission Barbecue. And so now we have, maybe we have anger. That's next week. We can talk about that. Uh, or I'm just concerned. My lunch choice is now threatened. It's under siege, you know. But like, I mean, it's Mother's Day, right? So, I mean, what mother hasn't experienced at some point or another just like, hey, I'm concerned about my kids. I see my kids making a choice I don't like or I see 
you know, something that I think could affect their welfare, that kind of thing, you know, and so we get concerned. Concerned is a natural part of life. I think we can even argue that Jesus was concerned at different points in his life about different things, right? This is not, this is normal. This is not like a bad thing. This is something, in fact, that it can be a very healthy thing because there's some things that could happen to you where it's like, you should feel concerned. And in fact, it's a little concerning. You aren't concerned right now about this, right? But concern can grow into what feels crippling, okay? I can feel crippled. And we've all kind of maybe been at this point with anxiety, where now my concern has devolved from one or two things that kind of have my attention, I'm focused on, I'm worried about, to now there's kind of, it's like, yeah, maybe there's a couple of things that I'm concerned about, but they're also just kind of this general sense of fear is starting to descend over me. And now I'm kind of looking for the, you know, what's going to happen around the corner, and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, and, and I just, like, man, daily tasks become harder, you know, it, it just kind of feels like life is on hard mode, if I can say it that way, you know, that, that we become crippled with anxiety, and it becomes really challenging with us, and of course, that can grow to where we feel crushed by anxiety, and at the crushed level, it's, man, I can't even get out of bed, Man, I can't, even, I can't even force myself to do the daily commerce of my life, whatever that might be. Like, I, I just feel crushed. I feel rot. I feel whatever it is with anxiety. I, I'm not just anxious and concerned about a couple of things. It just kind of feels like the world is just a source of fear and consternation for me right now. And I feel, I feel crushed. Now, I should offer my disclaimer, as I offered a couple weeks ago to you. I'm not a, I'm not a clinician, okay? I'm not a... Uh, this will shock you. Um, I do not have a PhD or, uh, you know, medical doctor degree. So please do not take anything I say as, you know, perfect mental health advice. Anxiety, I'm sure, is a word that has a clinical definition. But to say, hey, I, I want to use it in that catch-all kind of way today because I think that's kind of how we honestly experience it. Now, I want to offer this, too. A few weeks ago, I talked to you about depression. I talked about how when we use the word health, that's a catch-all. Um, that sometimes we talk about, hey, a person's health is declining, and often when we say that, we, we mean like their physical health. But your health is actually a multifaceted thing. It is not just your physical health, it's also your mental health. And as Jared talked about last week, it's your social health, it's your emotional health, it's your uh, spiritual health, okay? And so in that vein, I, I want to remind us of that to say today, I want to talk to you about anxiety and specifically the spiritual components of anxiety, okay? Um, that spir those spiritual components are going to intersect with other components of mental health, right? Because it, our health is a, it's a cohesive thing, right? You can't, it's like, you know, you can't just pull on one thread and only that one thread, right? They all are woven together. But to say, I want you to think about my advice I want to give you today as part of a, if you can think of it, part of a larger treatment plan, if you will, as part of like, if you're struggling with anxiety, this can be part of your larger treatment plan. That treatment plan may be as simple as, hey, you apply some truths from this sermon and you talk to a friend and that's great, you know? Um, especially if you're kind of finding yourself lower on that scale that we just looked at, right? That treatment plan most likely is not just going to be listen to a sermon and talk to a friend. It's going to be talk to a professional therapist. It's going to be talk to your doctor about getting some medicine. It's going to be, you know, all those kind of things. And I don't think we should walk away or be ashamed of those things. Here's another thing I'm really sensitive about, and I please hope you'll kind of hear this well today, is I'm going to give you some stuff to do. Okay, I'm going to give you some work, which I know when you're kind of stuck in anxiety, it's like, oh, good, just what I need, more things to be anxious about to do. Great, yeah, awesome, yeah. 
And I want you to hear this. These are suggestions. These are not, God doesn't love you if you don't do these. These are not, something's wrong with you. If you, you know, like, this is not A, to say, well, the real Christians don't get anxious. Uh, wrong. You know, like, we're actually going to see that here in a second. Um, this is not meant to, like, overburden you or overwhelm you or just to be a thing that's like, and again, I stress this. This is just part of a cohesive whole for what it means for us to get well from anxiety. Okay, so please don't hear this as, hey, we're just going to pray anxiety away. And if you're a good enough Christian, you can just pray about it. And it's going to be, nope, incorrect, uh, wrong, you know. Like that, that could help, right? But that, that probably in a lot of cases is not going to be the, the full correct answer, okay? Um, and so I, I just want to stress that from the outset to say, hey, um, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, this is not the whole picture, but for the part of the picture I am somewhat equipped to point you to, I want to be able to point you toward that this morning. So today we're going to look at some words written by a guy named Paul uh, in the book of Philippians. It's a letter written to a group of Christians in the first century. Now, before we hop into looking at the, all the people who've been in church for any amount of time already know, yep, no, yep, I know exactly what words you're going to talk about, Wes. Yep, not surprising. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you're in that camp, don't tune out, okay? And specifically over this next section, because I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to listen to what I have to say. Anyway, um, I, I want you to hear and think about with me the, the words that we're going to read, because I think these are kind of words that we throw on like some Pinterest, you know, little Bible verse picture or something like that. And like, that's great. But I, I, I think we do so forgetting the power and the experiences behind these words. Paul first century church leader, uh, had a, a life that was filled with anxiety, or at least filled with cause to be anxious, okay? Paul, when he writes the letter to the Philippian church, he is sitting in prison, okay? So none of us has ever said, hey, life kind of sucks right now, but you know what would make it better? Sitting in a first century Roman prison cell, that sounds good, you know? Like, nope, none of us has ever said that. He's probably ch literally chained to a Roman centurion or a Roman soldier, Paul's sitting, waiting to appear before Caesar, where he's, you know, he's fighting these kind of fake, trumped-up charges that, like, really had nothing to do with him, nothing to do with his life, nothing to do with any of that stuff, okay? And, like, so he's sitting in prison for a crime he didn't commit, for something that he shouldn't have to be punished for, and he's waiting to go to Caesar, where he could very possibly receive the death penalty if things don't go his way, okay? Now, again... Uh, you know, sitting on death row doesn't sound like a walk in the park in terms of, you know, oh, yeah, sign me up for that, you know. So Paul's got plenty of reasons for anxiety, okay? The audience that Paul's writing to is uh, this group of Christians in the first century of Philippi. Now, um, Christians living in Philippi and in the Roman Empire in general uh, lived under constant threat of being thrown into prison, being persecuted, being physically tortured or beaten. A guy named F.F. F. Bruce, who's a Bible scholar, um, says Christian existence in a pagan world was full of uncertainties. Persecution of one kind or another was always a possibility. And the impossibility of membership in guilds, which were under the patronage of pagan divinities, was bound to involve economic disadvantage. So in the first century Greco-Roman world, if you're like an average Joe worker, tradesman, whatever, you derived a lot of economic security from being part of basically a guild, which is kind of like a first century version of a trade union. But the problem with these trade unions, if you're a Christian, is that they, they were all under the patronage of some Roman deity. So like you literally would have to profess worship to Caesar or whatever God this 
trade guild had been set up in the name of, which, again, you know, if you're a Christian, that's kind of a big problem, right? Because we believe Jesus is Lord, and that's kind of a it's kind of a big sticking point, you know? Like, that's kind of something that you can't really compromise on if you want to call yourself a Christian, okay? And so they were kind of under this constant threat. I give you all this as a preamble to the words we're going to look at today to say, I understand that the words Paul writes here about anxiety to some of us may feel trite, they may feel basic, they may feel like, come on, Paul, you do not understand the cares of my life, okay? I need to get more Instagram, you know, I don't know, whatever it is that we get anxious about, okay? But we have, I make fun there, right? We have real stuff we get anxious about too, right? I want my kid to learn how to read, and they're like in the sixth grade, I feel like it's not going to happen. I want my financial situation to work out. Oh my gosh, things with my employer are so terrible. Oh, someone whispered the word layoffs in our lunchroom at lunch, and now at two o'clock, everyone is like losing their minds because we don't know what's going to happen. Oh my gosh, I'm getting ready to move across the country, and I mean, is any more explanation needed, right? I'm anxious about that, right? Am I ever going to meet someone? Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to make it out of school? Am I ever going to get into the school of my dreams? Am I ever going to, like, whatever the thing is that we can be worried about, right? I'm just saying all this to you to say, hey, the guy writing this and the people listening to this or reading this are people who lived under constant threat of physical persecution. You can imagine the emotional toll that that would entail, right? No one likes to walk around thinking, today could be the day that I get thrown into prison for no reason. That sounds great, you know, right? Um, they lived under economic hardship. They lived in prison. You know, like, these guys, I guess what I'm trying to say is, these guys had stuff to be anxious about. So shame on us if we read these words and think, yeah, that's back in the good old days, right? No, actually, incorrect. The good, the good new days are actually what they would look at our day as, right? Um, and so these words about anxiety, they are tried, they are true, they are tested, they were written to people in real severe need. And I think we need to receive, I mean, they're God's word to us, right? That's reason enough to receive them well. But I, I think that should really cause us pause to say, wow, I need to hear what Paul is saying. So here's what he says. Uh, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, which I think is just really interesting stopping here for a second because when I get anxious, gentleness is the first thing that goes out the door, right? <laughs> like no one's like, man, she was so frustrated and then she got anxious and it was all gentle, right? Like no, all of a sudden it becomes, what do you mean you don't have any coffee cream, right? Like I lose the gentleness, right? I, I get rid of that. And then Paul drops on us the key line. The Lord is near. This sets up the whole passage right here. It's our understanding of those four simple words, okay? Here's Paul's point here. God is near. The God who is in control of everything, the God who says, I will work all things together according to the good of those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. The God who, who never hears a prayer request is like, oh, I had no idea, you know, whatever it is, okay? That God is in control. So because that God is in control, I can have joy. Here's what joy is. Joy isn't I'm happy. Like it's not a synonym for I'm happy. Joy is more like a worldview because joy is this feeling of, of peace, calm, and settledness that, that arises from if that kind of God is in control of everything, then I know I can receive whatever comes in my life as either something directly from his hand or permitted by his hand to work in some way for my good, okay? And even if I can't make heads or tails of what's going on in this given moment, I can still be okay because when this life is over, 
I've got something better going on afterwards, okay? I, I've, got, I've got dinner reservations at the hottest spot in town, okay? Like, I'm going to be good, all right? And so I don't need, I can be gentle, right? I can be joyful. Even in, even in persecution, trouble, challenge, anxiety-provoking circumstances, I can still be okay because that kind of God is in control. And then Paul's going to flip it, and he gives us the next piece of advice. He says, so... Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Okay, so let's just clarify here. Job, that's every situation. Will he check yes or no on the do you like me note I passed in class? That's every situation, okay? Um, financial thing, that's every situation. My wife or husband said something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I feel like I should talk to him about it, but it feels too petty for me to talk about, and I'm not really sure if I want to talk about it, and blah, 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 and what if he hates me forever, she hates me forever. That's in every situation, okay? Every, hey, I messed up my own life, and it's all my fault. That's also in every situation, okay? Every situation, by prayer and petition, that's just by prayer and just in case you can get more prayer, two Ps, okay? We got to get the alliteration. We're preachers here, okay? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. So Paul says, hey, whatever you're going through, whatever you're anxious about, just present it to God. Just bring it to God. Just pray about it with God. And then he says, and then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so follow this through here. Paul says, if I believe God, the God I talked to you about a second ago, is near, then what that means is I can present my thing to him. I don't need to worry if he heard. I don't need to worry if he understands. I don't need to worry if he cares. I don't need to worry if he can affect change or not, okay? I'm good, okay? And I know if God knows my concern and my thing that I'm worried about, I can place that in his hands and, and I can rest peacefully because I, I know he's in control and whatever works out it's going to be okay okay Jesus when he teaches us the Lord's prayer he says this thing that's like I don't think gets enough play but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 he says guys um don't don't like babble on when you pray because like God doesn't really care about the number of your words and guys just to give you a heads up he already knows what you need before you ask him which should prompt all of us to go, so what am I praying for? Like, Jesus, if you are, like, I feels like we just kind of cut out the middleman here, right? And I think there's a number of reasons why we still should pray. And I think one of the reasons is because Jesus knows that's a powerful handing over mechanism for me. It's a powerful mechanism for me. It's a practice, a discipline for me to practice saying, okay, God, I've taken this thing. I'm putting it in your hands. A guy named Douglas J. Moo, who is a very old white man who's a Bible scholar and surely had a lot of hardship in his life with the name Douglas J. Moo. He could only be a Bible scholar with a name like that. He says this. He says, The God to whom we pray and offer thanksgiving, whose ways are higher than ours, is also totally trustworthy. Our prayer is accompanied by his peace. And that, and this is the key part, not because he answers according to our wishes all the time, but because his peace totally transcends our merely human way of perceiving the world. What Douglas Moo is saying here is, I can present my thing to God and rest because I know even if I pray for the wrong thing, he's going to know what to give me. Because he has the perspective, the understanding, the wisdom, whatever it is that, that I do not have. Okay? I can rest in that. I thought that was a really good quote. 
Paul finishes up and he says in Philippians 4.8, uh, these words. So, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he finishes up by saying, let me just give it to you, you know, a little more. Whatever you've heard or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Which tells us, again, Paul's not like saying, hey, this sounds like a good idea for you to do. Paul's saying, nope, I've done it. Like, I've practiced this. I've seen this in work in my life. And again, I'll just remind you, Paul, the guy who's like had his life nearly ended several times, the guy who's been shipwrecked, the guy who's been thrown into prison, the guy who's like, life reads like a terrible, awful country song. You know, like, it's just like every, a lot of country music fans in here, sorry. Um, I know online, I know you were laughing. That's good, I could hear it. Um, I've tried this out. And you can trust me on this one. And then he says, here's the clincher. The God of peace will be with you, okay? Not just, hey, you'll feel peaceful. The God of peace himself will be with you, okay? I imagine this to be all the difference between, like, if I was getting ready to get wheeled off into open heart surgery, and, like, my mom called me on the phone to say, hey, hope it goes well, good luck, don't die, you know? Okay, thanks, mom, right? Versus, like, my mom is right by my bedside as they're, like, wheeling me off, you know? Like, oh, don't be nice to my baby, you know, right? Like, whatever, right? Like, we, like, we would much rather have the presence of the person rather than just like, hey, go and be warm and well-fed, right? And that's what Paul's saying is, hey, not just peace will be with you. The, God, the very God who gives the peace is going to be with you. Like he's going to be right there in the middle of it with you. He's going to experience it with you. Here's what I want you to understand today in kind of reading all these verses is our peace comes from a different place. Our peace comes from a different place, Okay. The Bible's word, the Greek word for anxiety, literally means to be torn apart, which is exactly what anxiety feels like, right? It just feels like your soul is just torn into two, you know? Um, one of the images I've heard in studying for this message used a lot to talk about anxiety is anxiety is kind of like prayer in reverse, or it's like prayer to myself is kind of how I think about it. So, like, I'll just give you a really silly little example. So we had a contributor this week who's supposed to be running sound. Brian is doing a great job running sound. Let's all give Brian a hand. I mean, Gil's doing a great job too. So I want to give Gil his, his, his due too. And he highlighted too. He's a double threat, man. That's what they, that's what they call that five-tool player in baseball. So um, anyway, we had a contributor this week who's supposed to be running sound. And then she texted me on Thursday and was like, hey, um, so I tested positive for the flu and for COVID. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds bad. That doesn't sound very fun. Like, thank you for sending me a text because I would just be lying in my grave right now, probably, okay? And so all of a sudden, like, I've got this small need, right? I'm in the concern level, okay? I, I want to not worry about sound. I want, like, someone to be able to do that and execute on that and whatever it is that they need to do, right? So I'm, I'm like, you know, starting to think about that, right? And so what do I do? I immediately start thinking, okay, well, Wes, you got to figure it out. You got to find the person. You got to make sure that they say yes. You got it right. We start thinking through, okay, you got no outcome plan B and plan C. Okay, we're all the way up to like plan CX now, you know, like we've run through, you know, several times. We're all right, right? And so we're, I'm thinking, man, how am I going to work this out? Which is exactly how anxiety works, except the problem is most of the time what we're anxious about is stuff that I don't even control. Okay, so going back to my example before, as I'm getting ready to meet with this angry parent, okay, like I'm thinking, oh my gosh, 
Like, what if, what if I say something that gets misinterpreted? And what if she decides to say this thing to someone else and then it gets said to them and said to them or she posts this thing online or whatever, right? And I need to find a way to prevent this. Well, here's the problem. I can't prevent any of that, right? How she receives words I say, like, that's not really up to, like, unless I'm saying, you suck, you know, or whatever, right? Like, I don't really have any control over that, okay? What she decides to do as a result of this meeting we're getting ready to have not in my control. I, I can't do anything to solve that. I can't put her under armed guard. I can't take her computer away, right? Whatever. Like, like, I can't do any of that, right? So what I'm saying is, Wes, even though you don't have the power or ability to do any of the things you're worried about, I'm still just going to marinate and pray to myself and go, maybe if I just worry about it enough, I'll magically have the power to do it. And I'm still trying to work that solution. Doesn't work that way. Because my peace is coming from the wrong place. When we are anxious, what is happening is we are trying to receive peace by being in some semblance of control. If I can know the future, if I can control their reaction, if I can whatever, right, then I can be peace. Like for a lot of us, you, this is me, you struggle big time with anxiety and you think, well, no, I don't, I'm a, I'm a, like I'm a very agreeable, nice person. And you think, well, yeah, that's actually kind of the problem because you're agreeable and nice so you can control what people think of you and right, like you're, you're using that as a way to kind of like avoid the anxiety of like, oh my gosh, well, if I tell the truth or be myself and they don't like it and I get rejected, right? That whole, oh, now I'd feel anxious, you know? And that's kind of how that works. We want to find peace from ourselves. God's advice on anxiety is, no, we actually have to find our peace from a different place. And so on that note, I, I want to talk, Paul gives us in this passage three practices I think we can utilize as disciplines to be able to find our peace from a new and different and better place, okay? So I want to give them to you here. Here's the first way we can find peace. We need to focus on the good, okay? I'll read that verse from Philippians 4, 8 again. Yeah. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, or uh, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, okay? Paul says right there, I want you to think on the good stuff, not on the bad stuff, all right? Um, we know this thing now, uh, by we, I mean people smarter than me, know this thing now called neuroplasticity, is how our brains work, okay? The, the professional therapists are nodding their heads, so that's good. I should have you guys explain probably. You're gonna, you're gonna be like, man, we're leaving this church. This is such a bad explanation. So basically, neuroplasticity means that your brain is kind of like an overgrown forest, okay? And when you think a thought, it's the equivalent of you taking a machete and cutting out the, the grown-up forest, right? And your brain is just like water or anything else, right? It wants to take the path of least resistance. And so basically what happens when I think a thought and I kind of cut out that new little passage, my brain just wants to keep going down that same route over and over and over again because your brain is lazy, just like we are, right? Why, you know, you, you want to take the path of least resistance. And so our brains, though, constantly evolve and grow and change. And what that means is actually... If I will focus on the good, so for a lot of us, right, we are, we are so focused on the anxious thoughts that we think, we don't just have a little, you know, pathway out of my backyard. It's like an interstate highway has come right in there, right? We got seven lane, you know, 294 in Chicago interstate, whatever's right through there, 394, whatever. I don't need no roads in Chicago anymore. Anyway, and uh, no one cares. And so we've, we've got this interstate highway set up, right? And 
what neuroplasticity says, this is good news. If I will engage the hard work, and it's effort, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. But if I will engage the hard work of telling myself to think a new thought, to focus on focusing on the good, here's what happens. I'm cutting a new path, and as I keep going down this path and not that path, over time, that path is going to grow over again. And now what seemed like incredibly difficult for me to do now is like second nature, okay? You meet those people that I meet. Okay, you're shaking your head. That's good. You meet these people, they're like incredibly positive. And I don't know about you. For me, I meet incredibly positive people. I was like, like I am simultaneously think that you are on drugs and I admire you all at the same time. Like this is so amazing. I don't know how you do this, right? Because I am like everything that ha like I hate... The worst time in my week is the 12 hours from like 7 p.m. Saturday to 7 a.m. Sunday because every time I, I get a text chime, it's never like someone like, hey, Wes, just text and say, I just prayed for you to preach a good sermon tomorrow. You know, it's always like, hey, um, just so you know, our house blew up and we live in uh, Asia now and uh, you're going to need to find a new greeter for the rest of eternity. Bye. Also, I hate you. See you later. You know, like that, like I feel like that's every text on Saturday night or Sunday morning is like that. Okay. And so like I, like I, I, that's just the way my brain thinks, right? I need to focus on the good, right? I need to cut a new pathway. I need to do a new thing, okay? And so that's a huge, huge thing. Now, there are a couple things we can do to focus on the good. Here's one thing we can do to focus on the good. We can memorize scripture, okay? I cannot think of anything that is more true, lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy, whatever you want to say, God-honoring, than literally just committing to memory God's very word to me, okay? Which, by the way, often count, it's actually the true narrative that counteracts whatever false anxious narrative I set up when I'm afraid and when I'm worried, okay? And so I think doing that is simple. Now, I know every time I talk about memorizing scripture, people like their eyes glaze over and you break out into a cold sweat and you're like, oh my gosh, <sighs> oh my, oh, I feel like I got ants all over my body now, you know, like I can't do it, okay? If you can memorize song lyrics, you can do this. If Taylor Swift can occupy a percentage of your brain, so can the Bible, you know, or, or Megan the Stallion in my case, okay? So very God-honoring uh, music listening choices. And so you should commit to memory. It's as simple as this how I do it. We have a mirror in our closet, um, you know, flex, because we have a, you know, semi-walk-in closet, you know, in our spacious manner. And, uh, and so I take a dry erase marker, and I just write the verse I want to memorize on there. And as I get dressed in the morning, I just say the verse out loud a couple of times to myself. And over the course of a week or so, I finally am able to actually remember it without doing it. And then we just repeat it again, okay? So you can do this. That's how it works for me. You know, I know people that like, they just type it out. It's like a beautiful mind. They just type it out on their computer a million times or they write it out or whatever. Whatever works for you. But you can do this, I guess is my point. Um, some great verses to start with. You could start with the verses we looked at today from Philippians 4. You could start, these are Jesus's words. Jesus says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Uh, because... I haven't memorized this. The pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And just as a testimony to this, Matthew 6, 33, that's a, uh, like, I memorized that verse when I was like eight years old. I'm 34 and can still remember it today, okay? So like this is, this is, a, this is a powerful thing to have you remember. 
You can look at Psalm 55. That's another example we can look at. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And if you're like, Wes, that's three lines. Still too long. Let's go to 1 Peter 5.1 or St. Peter to you, uh, to you heathens out there. He would say, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Okay, like so like there are any sort of verses. You, I mean, honestly, if you just Google Verses in the Bible about anxiety. I'm sure you will find some lovely person has put together, you know, 50 verses on anxiety or something like that. And my challenge to you is, hey, just memorize one or two. You know, like just have a few of those buried in there. Have, make that your new personal mantra if that needs to be the way you think about it. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to worship. Um, yeah. Worship is a way that we focus on the good, okay? Worship, and if I can just lean on you here a little bit. Worship is not the thing that we do so we give you the 15-minute buffer zone to be able to make sure you get here in time for the message when it starts, okay? Like, that's like a real, okay, we actually do that because we think it's spiritually helpful, not just like as a, heaven forbid you not hear what I have to say. It's so important, you know? And so worship is huge because it reminds us of these truths that get beaten out of us through the course of a week. I cannot tell you, I've been a pastor for 12 years now, I cannot tell you how many times I've had the following conversation with people at every church I've served. Hey, you know what? I was really struggling with insert anxious struggle here. And then I was reminded of that song we sing at church and that goes insert lyric that counteracts my anxiety here. And you know what? That is such an encouragement to me, right? Like I've had some version of that conversation. I'm not making uh, hundreds of times probably. I just had it two weeks ago with someone, okay? And like, I just think that's a testimony to the power of this and why we need to engage with that, okay? Here's the second thing to find peace. Gil, sorry, I kind of led you on there. I want you to talk to someone, okay? Now, talk to someone, it's kind of like a little bit of a double meaning, okay? Because I want you to talk to capital S, someone, okay? God, you know? But I think we already kind of get that, okay? I don't think anyone was like, man, I'm anxious. What should I do? Should I pray? You know, oh, what a surprise. The pastor told me to pray about it, you know? What, what a shock, Okay? But I specifically want to encourage you also not just to talk to God about whatever it is that you're anxious about, but to talk to other people about what you are anxious about. I'm going to just uh, need to alert you, okay? Brace yourself. I'm going to show you two pictures that are very hard for you to see. Okay, here's picture number one. Okay, does anyone know what that is? That's the, that is the apple spinny wheel of death, okay? And now I'm going to show you for those, see we're an all-inclusive church here, okay? If you're not a Mac user, anyone recognize what this bad boy is, right? The, the hourglass, okay? That means that when you see that on your computer, that's your computer saying, bye Felicia. Like, we, we done with this, girl. You need, girl, you need to close some internet tabs right now, okay? Like, and this is kind of how your mind and my mind work, okay? It's like my, I've got my window open and I've got, 84 tabs open on the window, right? Because I'm anxious about 84 different things. And what happens is my mind starts showing me the hourglass. And what's also really fun about preaching this is I can immediately tell in the room who's like a one tab and that's it person and who's a 7 million tab, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really entertaining to me. I learned a lot about our church today. But when you kind of, when you have like just anxiety overwhelms you, it, it's, your, it's your mind doing this, right? It's, it's the hourglass turning and it's saying, hey, you have given us more than we are able to process here up in your brain right now. And you need to shut down a couple of these tabs. You need to turn a couple of these programs off, all right? And so that's what I think talking to someone helps us to do 
it's us kind of downloading our like things that we're hanging on to and worried about. And it's us being able to get it out in the open. And it doesn't make it all better overnight, okay? But it's the beginning of the process, right? It allows me to let go and invite someone else and shine some light on the struggle that I've got, whatever that might be, is so helpful, okay? Talk to a trusted friend about it. Talk to a therapist or professional counselor about it. These guys are literally the pros at being able, like, I can't tell you how many times I've went to my counselor and it's like, wow, Ken, I talked to you about something I am anxious about that walking in, I had no idea I was even anxious about. Like, good job by you, man. And he's like, yeah, I know. I have a, I have a doctorate degree, so I'm pretty fancy, you know? Anyway, and so, like, they are literally the pros at being able to do that. So, that, like, that's why that's so important, okay? Like, talking about someone downloading that information, that's a key way to shut down a couple of that, ta- which can be huge, right? Who, who among us wouldn't say, hey, I'm anxious about 20 things, and I'd like to be anxious about 10 things, or 12 things, or 19 things, right? Like, just one can be a huge difference maker, right? Talking to someone is one of the ways in which we do that, okay? Here's the last thing about finding peace. I need to define my responsibility. Um, I got to meet, uh, I was part of this pastor's cohort a few years ago, and uh, I met a guy who's a local pastor in the area. His name is Bob Evans. He also has a successful chain of uh, restaurants. Just kidding. Not, it's different Bob Evans. Um, and so uh, Bob told us this story in the cohort about how he went to this men's retreat one time. And at the men's retreat, um, the guy leading the retreat talked to them about John the Baptist. Now, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, John the Baptist is like the guy who is the forerunner to Jesus, okay? He was Jesus' hype man. He was like, yo, Jesus, he's where it's at. You know, that was a verbatim quote from John the Baptist right there. And John, like, points people toward Jesus. And John was so great. Like, he was so prolific. He was such an amazing speaker or whatever. People are like, John, we think you might be the Messiah. And the guy leading this retreat opens up his Bible, to John, and he, he recounts John's response when people asked him that. John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Amen. And then the guy leading this retreat closed his Bible, and he stood up, and he said, Hi, my name's Bill. I'm not the Messiah. And they sat down. And then one by one, he made all 25 of these middle-aged men, one by one, stand up, and they had to look around at the group, and they had to say Hi. My name is Jim. I'm not the Messiah. Hi, my name is Darius. I'm not the Messiah. Uh, allow me to continue. Hi, my name is Wes. I'm not the Messiah. In parentheses. I just think I am. Right? And I <laughs> laughed a little too hard at that, honey. Thank you. Um, and so we need that reminder every once in a while. And here's what anxiety does to us. Anxiety makes us think, no, no, no. You, you are the Messiah, and you need to be the Messiah, and you should be the Messiah, actually, right now, because it looks to me to be the answer for all of my problems, okay? Well, that isn't a good, that, that's not a good, you know, way to go. That's, that's not a helpful thing to do, okay? In fact, quite the opposite. That's where a lot of our anxiety comes from. Jesus said these words to his followers. He said, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. 
And a lot of times our anxiety is simply for us an invitation to kind of stop and think, hey, you know who I think is the Messiah right now? Me. You know who needs to be the Messiah right now in my life? Not me. Jesus, the actual Messiah. You know, like I, I need to hand over control um, to him. I have a friend named Greg, and Greg's thing he says uh, a lot of times when like people face problems and they come to him to ask him about it is um, he'll say, hey, you know what? In every problem in life, there's my part, there's their part, and there's God's part. And a lot of my problem stems from the fact that I want to do not just my part, but I also feel compulsed to do their part and God's part. And what a shock, I feel anxiety as a result, right? Because I can't do their part, and I certainly cannot do God's part. Okay? So the sooner I define my responsibility to say, I'm not the Messiah, and so Jesus, I'm going to need to hand that over to you. I'm going to need to hand a financial worry over to you. Jesus, I'm going to need to hand the what if I'm misunderstood worry over to you. I'm going to have to hand over the what if I don't get into school of my choice over to you. Oh my gosh, Jesus, what if I end up, you know, getting married at 35 or 40 or 45 or not at all? You know, I'm going to need to hand that over to you. Jesus, I'm going to hand over. I'm moving to this area that I didn't want to go to, to you. You know, whatever it is I'm concerned and anxious and worried about, right? The sooner I hand like whatever the worry is over to Jesus, the sooner I can begin the process of moving on from anxiety. That's the invitation of Jesus that we need to receive today. Again, I stress to you, um, I'm not a clinician. What I've given you here today is not the full all, end all, be all on how to fix anxiety. It's just part of the spiritual treatment plan, if you will, for how we can grow from anxiety. But here's what I can say. I don't believe there's a pathway forward out of anxiety that does not at some point incorporate this idea of Jesus, I am handing my life over to you as my Savior and my Lord. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you to do that today. Um, our team's going to lead us in a song here. I'm going to be hanging out in the back. I'd love to talk if you need to make that decision today or even just talk about that. I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. We can do that. Um, but please, man, anxiety, hap uh, anxiety is, you know, goes away or is lessened when we find our peace from a different place. And my encouragement for all of our anxious souls today is that we would find our peace from the right place, okay? Uh, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks that you heal and forgive and help. And Father, that you desire uh, to hear from your children uh, whatever anxious thoughts we have, that we can turn those over to you. Help us to do that this morning. Help us to do that as a pattern of our lives. Help us to focus on the good, do the right things, do the good things. And Lord, see our minds populated and filled with your peace as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.